1: and the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hey, guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never
0: Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. To the podcast. I'm Kristen. Hi, I'm Molly. So Molly here at Stuff I've Never Told You. A lot of times we talk about women-specific health issues, mm-hmm. and this time we're going to take a little different tack with that because we're talking about autism today. And generally speaking, autism, the autism spectrum of disorders, is considered much more of a boys problem mm-hmm. than a girls problem uh, the statistic that's o- often thrown out is that boys are four times uh, more likely to be diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder than girls mm-hmm. so we wanted to look at why is this why are girls underdiagnosed because there are girls who have been you know diagnosed with autism aspergers etc um but a lot of the coverage that you see is really dealing, you know, treats it as something, as a male epidemic.
2: Mm -hmm. And there are some researchers who are saying that's really harming girls who aren't getting a diagnosis that they need. So before we dive into it, perhaps we should give a little bit of an overview about autism. We're probably not going to cover everything that, you know, parents and interested persons out there are interested in. It's a big topic. It can be a very controversial topic. We're going to kind of give you a little bit of an overview that serves the needs for what we're going to talk about later.
0: Yeah, and uh, autism is a complex neurobiological disorder of development that lasts through a person's lifetime. There are three main categories within the autism spectrum disorders, and that includes autistic disorder, which is also called classic autism, Asperger's syndrome, which you'll often hear referred to as high-functioning autism now, and also pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified or atypical autism.
2: Now, the reason that there are so many categories is that symptoms really manifest themselves in different ways, which is why autism is considered to have this spectrum. You know, you can be at one end and be, as Kristen said, very high functioning. And then you can be on the other end of a spectrum and be sort of at this classical example of someone who doesn't speak, doesn't make eye contact, doesn't really engage in social activity. And even though referring to the spectrum is sort of the the acknowledged way to go. We're kind of going to talk about autism just as a unit in this mm-hmm. podcast, but please know that we are aware that it is a spectrum. Not every case of autism is the same, but there are a few um, signs and symptoms that kind of mark the condition. The main one being uh, the thing we talked about with uh, communication. It's usually not as strong. One of the main one being communication where uh, people with autism usually lack the ability to communicate with their peers and those around them, social interactions where they, uh, may not interact and show emotion in the way that other children do, may not uh, demonstrate empathy and understanding what other people are thinking, and stereotyped behaviors, which is sort of a repetitive behavior, uh, obsession with certain toys, obsession with certain activities like counting, singing, repeating certain sentences over and over again, um My leaving out, Krista, what else do you think is sort of a case of stereotypical red flags for autism?
0: Well, Molly, according to the National Institutes of Health, um, there are lots of different red flags, including poor eye contact. A uh, child doesn't smile when smiled at, um, doesn't really understand how to play with toys. Um, child throws intense or violent tantrums uh, and might be nonverbal, like you mentioned, um, the child might spend a lot of time lining things up or putting things in a certain order. So as you can see, there are a ton of different um, quote-unquote, red flags for uh, specific types of autistic behavior. But the big mystery that scientists and medical researchers have yet to solve is why children develop autistic uh, disorders in the first place. Is it genes? Is it environmental factors? Really, why, why does this happen? And then there's the question
2: of why does this happen more often to boys? Mm-hmm. As Kristen said, four times more often. And there was an article in Time last year about, uh, genetic clues as to why boys might be more susceptible to autism. Uh, they found this gene, uh, identified as CACNA1G, and it's more common in boys. So if you're looking for a gene that seems to activate these sort of responses or to, you know, turn off something else that, uh, you know, may prevent autism. This gene is sort of the, the one clue they have that, you know, it, they call it an autism hotspot, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: And this gene sits on chromosome 17, which is, is surrounded by other genes which have also been linked to autism. But this specific gene is responsible for regulating the flow of calcium into and out of cells. And that influences um, activation of nerve cells in the brain, which is relevant because some researchers think that autism is really, um, sort of a, an issue of overactive nerves. Mm-hmm. So now, according to
2: these researchers, nearly 40% of the general population has a very common form of this gene, but there's a variant of genes that's pretty prevalent in autistic boys. And the fact of the matter is, is there probably is not just one gene that causes autism. It's probably a combination of genes. And so it's impossible to say that just because boys have this one gene that that totally explains why boys uh receive a diagnosis more. But there is, like Kristen said at the very beginning, this perception that autism is a boy's disease. In mm-hmm. fact, it's sometimes called a problem of an extreme male brain. And that is by researcher Simon Baron Cohen. And I think that it almost sort of, to understand Baron Cohen's theory, you've got to kind of buy into the
0: most base of gender stereotypes. So Baron Cohen really divides men and women up into empathizers and systemizers. And not surprisingly, women are considered more empathizing in that we enjoy uh, more verbal communication. Um, We tend to pick up on social cues Quicker than men might, uh, we involve, we enjoy, you know, uh, richer social interactions with people around us, whereas men tend toward the, tend to be systemizers in that they, for instance, gravitate more towards engineering and mathematics and fields that really deal with, um, ordering the systems around them, ordering different things. And just
2: think about how Legos are a boy, a boy's toy. Like when I say it's gender stereotypes, it's, I mean, it's almost like every conflict that you could think of between a man and a woman in sort of a, in sort of a stereotypical rom-com, like the woman complaining that the guy won't talk to her, mm-hmm. won't look her in the eye, whereas the guy just like wants to build a model jet to take it to a really far extreme. But Baron Cohn is saying that, you know, these differences between the genders are there and they affect our brain and If you are too far on a systemizing scale, then you have autism.
0: Yeah. Uh, he basically says that children with autism are extreme systemizers and that they are so focused kind of on, on ordering the world around them that they, that they lack empathy. They don't pick up on, you know, like one of the red flags I mentioned was, you know, a child doesn't smile back if you smile at him or her. And, um, you know, it doesn't, people with autism just might not pick up on those, um, social cues. And Baron Cohen says that, um, people with autistic disorders lack a quote theory of the mind, which is basically, um, the idea that people have thoughts and intentions that might differ from your own. I mean, it's theory of the mind is basically a, you know, fancy way to discuss empathy. Right.
2: So he has done surveys where he's found that women do tend to, you know, have more empathizing traits. Men tend to have the systemizing traits and autistic people, be they women or men, tend to be systemizers as well. So that's how he's come up with the idea that autism is the extreme male mind. Now he's also doing this study where he's saying that an excess of testosterone in the womb, which boys receive, may be the reason that autism occurs. This is where Baron Cohen, I think, gets into a little bit of trouble because his thing is sort of to take very small studies and make very grand pronouncements, as a Psychology Today article put it in 2004. And so we're not saying that Baron Cohen is without his critics, but he's saying that when boys get that excess of testosterone and then they tend to have autism after that, that perhaps there's a link there. But he still has to do studies where he compares, you know, how much testosterone a boy got in the womb who didn't develop autism versus one who did. So he still has a lot of work to do, but I think that one of the reasons it's valuable to talk about him is because he was, I think, one of the
0: first to really look at autism and make it a gender issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And since autism has been classified as such a, a male affliction, if you will, it has been really hard for parents, um, to get diagnoses for their autistic diagnoses for their, for their daughters because a lot of times, um, doctors just do not associate autism with, uh, with girls. And research even suggests that girls who are screened for autistic traits might not even be classified as autistic. For instance, there was one study of 60 patients at a psychiatric hospital in England, and none of those were diagnosed as autistic, but 11 were later shown to have autistic traits. Instead, these girls were diagnosed with other conditions such as personality disorder and schizophrenia. And an interesting thing when we're talking about girls and autism um, is that they've also found a link between Autism and eating disorders in girls, which actually kind of makes sense. We didn't bring this up in our podcast on eating disorders that we did a little while ago. But uh when you think about it in terms of systemizing your environment, and sort of the control aspects that are involved with anorexia and bulimia and other types of eating disorders, uh, it does kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. And this
2: was a topic of conversation, this link between eating disorders and autism at a conference, one sort of the first of its kind that was sponsored by a charity called Research Autism to kind of get into uh, these these differences between boys and girls when it comes to autism. So to give you a little bit more idea of this eating disorder and autism link, uh, anorexia has actually been called the female Asperger's in that, you know, it's got sort of this as Chris was saying, this rigid perfectionist uh, ideal of systemizing the world, and they were saying that first, people with autism are more at risk of getting anorexia because they are obsessed with those symptoms, and then two, once they actually start to lose the weight, if that's you know how the eating disorder manifests itself, being underweight kind of exaggerates the autistic traits in that you know the lack of food is affecting your brain and you're not able to control that social behavior the way you might have otherwise, and you are seeming more withdrawn. Uh, you you lack that ability to have empathy. And the fact that um, it takes being a little bit starved to have that come out kind of gets to the heart of one of these differences, these, these main differences between autism in girls and autism in boys, because one of the reasons that researchers think that autism might be underdiagnosed is because girls are much better at mimicking the social interactions of those around them than boys are. So Kristen was talking about how autism is usually diagnosed at age three. Uh, autism tends to be diagnosed later on for girls because at age three, they tend to be more inherently, you know, they can somehow mimic what they need to mimic. They're a little bit more verbal already. So that's sort of um, the first part of the issue is, as Kristen was saying, these, these girls are getting the right checkbox marked off, as one doctor put it, Uh, but they're still not getting the correct diagnosis.
0: Yeah, and I think that it also reflects just basic differences between very young boys and very young girls are socialized. Um, You know, I think a lot of times uh, girls are raised to be more vocal and um, maybe just have more of a chance to kind of learn those, like, quote-unquote, normalized behaviors as opposed to boys where, you know, like, it's fine if they just want to go off and play with their tanks by themselves and play video games for all hours of the day. Whereas, you know, we expect, we expect little girls to be, you know, smiling and sweet and, and talkative. And so the girls learn how to do that, but the problem really seems to
2: come later for them in middle school where, you know, think about middle school bullies, for example. This was one thing that one or one of our articles brought up to bully someone. You really have to know how they feel so you can exploit it. And if you have if you lack that theory of mind, then you can't do that. So they're saying that it's really middle school when those uh, female relationships get so tricky that parents realize there's something wrong with my daughter because she doesn't interact with other children the way I expect her to.
0: And it's interesting because it seems like, you know, going back to this empathizer versus systemizer um, Baron Cohen theory, um, it seems like you know, autistic girls, while, you know, according to Baron Cohen, you know, have these extreme male brains, but I would argue that, um, you know, these girls still have more of an ability to empathize, if you will, than autistic boys because it seems like they take to heart, um, being socially ostracized a lot more than the boys do. Um, there was a 1994 paper by two researchers that pointed out that, um, even though Um, females are way underdiagnosed with autism. They still make up half the autistic patients with mood disorders. Um, so it seems like there's a, there's a much stronger connection between female autism in females and anxiety as, as opposed to, um, autism in males.
2: Right. Because they've always thought of autism as such this male condition, the research of autism in girls lags years behind. And so they are just now coming out and realizing that, you can be sort of empathetic as a girl and still have autism because there is that link, as Kristen said, of the depression, anxiety. Girls are realizing that they don't fit in. They can't necessarily control why they don't and that they can't change their interactions with people, but they know that they are different, which then leads to that sort of anxiety, that depression. And there's an indication, according to some research, you know, maybe, maybe a bit more anecdotal, that Autistic boys realize that they're different and just don't care, whereas the girls, you know, still have that that desire to fit in and it affects them more strongly.
0: Yeah. Just to give you an idea of some of the research um, in this field, a group of German researchers um, published a study in May uh, comparing 23 high functioning autistic girls with 23 high functioning Boys between the ages of 5 and 20, matching them for age, IQ, and autism diagnosis. And the parents, uh, among this very, you know, similar, similar group, um, parents reported more problems for girls involving peer relations, maturity, social independence, and attention. And by and large, um, over and over again, you see autistic girls having more trouble within their social networks if they're having these communication and language problems compared to boys. And I would say that, you know, part of it, um, would go back to just social expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, girls are just expected to be more, I guess girls are expected to be friendlier maybe mm-hmm. than boys are. And, uh, and not to mention, I mean, if you if your diagnosis is emerging in adolescent years, I mean, that's a, that's a hard enough time as it is. Right. Let's talk about another difference
2: between autism in males and females. There was this New York Times article by Emily Bazelon, uh and she writes about how, you know, we tend to think of autism as this condition where the people lack verbal ability. They really can't speak with us. They may not be able to communicate. And most of the girls she met with autism were were great with language. They loved to read, they loved to write, whereas that's not something we associate with with boys and autism and so it's it's just another difference that you may not be looking for when you're trying to consider whether, you know, this is what's going on with your kid or what's going on with you and that, you know, they can be verbal, they can express themselves, but just it's not what you'd expect from someone with this condition.
0: Well, and we were talking a lot about um, more of the uh, behavioral symptoms and different expectations for boys and girls, but the Baselon article also goes back to the genes that we were talking about earlier. Um... And she points out that there have been two major genetic linkage studies that have come out recently that have really underscored the fact that, um, there might be different genes responsible for autism in boys and in girls. Like in the Time magazine, uh, article, the, the gene was really Male specific. I mean, the study group was focused on families with at least one son who is autistic. Um, whereas there might be a completely different, um, autistic prone, autism prone gene that expresses itself in girls, which might also contribute to this, I guess, gap, this gender gap. Mm
2: mm-hmm. And you know, as we said, there it's just they're years behind in the research because it has been thought of as such a male condition. It's hard for the girls to get a diagnosis when that's really what they need. And as a result, a lot of these treatments that uh, are out there are not very girl-friendly, I guess, for lack of a better word. Many of the drugs that people uh, give to kids with autism haven't been tested on girls. And uh, the New York Times article that I mentioned talks about how you know, if you if you're putting your child in a school. For autistic children or kids on a spectrum, the girls go there and they don't have any any other girls to talk to. They are around boys all the time. Mm -hmm. And because this condition manifests itself so differently in the two genders, it really kind of hurts them socially, which just
0: exacerbates that anxiety they feel of being different. Yeah. So we have a ton of different reasons why. Autism is diagnosed far more in boys than in girls. Um, although it doesn't necessarily mean that autism doesn't as fa- affect girls as much, it's just a lot harder for girls to get the get that diagnosis. Um, so now it's time that we want to hear from you guys if y'all have any experience um, with autism, um, you know, girls out there who have struggled with these behaviors. Um, one of the articles that we, uh, ran across mentioned that there've been, there's a growing number of adult women who are coming around to realizing that, Hey, uh, and these would be like high functioning autistic women who are realizing that they kind of have some of the classic symptoms that sort of explains what's been going on for a long time. Um, so yeah, let us, let us know your thoughts on the topic momstuff
2: at com is spe- our email
0: address. And speaking of which, let's read a little email.
2: Alright, I'm going to start off with one from Karen. It's about our podcast on women and Freemasonry. She writes because she was part of a Masonic group. From ages 11 to 18, I was a member of the International Order of Job's Daughters, a group of young girls who are descendants of Freemasons. Job's Daughters is based on the Masonic Order, so each gathering of Job's Daughters in a given city has officers with different rankings. There are weekly meetings that are secret, as well as many social events, some of which are open to friends and family. Girls can move up the rankings to be the honored queen, which is the highest office. Now she writes, I have mixed feelings about my time as a Job's daughter. On one hand, I feel that it promotes many positive things such as leadership, responsibility, sisterhood, etc. And some of my fondest memories of my teenage years were from spending time with my friends at Job's daughter's events. However, looking back, I think it perpetuates some antiquated female gender roles by not allowing any women present at official events to wear pants. That's right. We had to wear skirts or dresses and usually slips and hosiery all the time unless we were having a sleepover or something very casual like that. At this point, I don't think I would encourage any girl to join Job's Daughters, but I ultimately feel that it had a positive impact. At this point, I don't think that I would encourage any girl to join Job's Daughters, but I ultimately feel like that it had a positive impact that outweighed everything else for me. Job's Daughters has secrets just like the Masons, but the thing is, none of these secrets are remotely interesting. Sad to find out.
0: Kind of got a similar response from Meg, who is the wife of a Freemason, and she says that she and her husband have been together for four years, When she first learned he was a Mason, she was very bothered by it. Uh, However, now that I've gotten to know him and some of his brothers in the lodge, I can say that it's completely harmless. The biggest secret in Freemasonry is how much the tuna costs for dinner that night. As far as I can tell, they spend a lot of time talking about money, budgets, and what charity needs Um, they're helping that day. All in all, I think it sounds very boring, but it makes my husband happy, and he's made a lot of great friends through Freemasonry. Also, when he dies, the members of his lodge will take care of me as his widow in any way I need, be it painting the house, yard work, or just a drive to the doctor when I'm old. I say, let the boys have their boys-only club. It's not harming anyone, and in fact, they do a lot of good. I feel that Freemasons are misjudged, which is saying a lot, because if I had been writing this four years ago, I'd have a whole bunch of conspiracy theories for you. So thanks, Meg, for the inside scoop. And if you would like to email us again, our email address is howstuffworks.com And you should become a fan of us on Facebook. Look for us there. And you should also follow us on Twitter. We have an account there, and it is Mom Stuff Podcast. And finally, you should check out our blog that we update regularly during the week, which you can find on howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other
1: topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking.